You are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. Welcome to another episode of the Watchman's Post Podcast. This program was recorded for the first week of November in the year 2019. Well, I have a few questions from a listener and a reader uh, concerning uh, the disgusting thing. Uh, someone else first, though, asked me about uh, why Ukraine is uh, in the news all the time of late, <laughs> which is sort of an interesting question because, you know, there are a lot of newsworthy things that are not in the news. And so it really begs the question, who decides what is news? And uh, that gets right to the heart of it, doesn't it? doesn't it? The so-called mainstream media have their agenda, and they decide what you and I uh, are presented with as important news of the world. So as of late, it's Ukraine. And of course, not too long ago, it was Russia, Russia, Russia. And they meddled in the election and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but now it's Ukraine. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's quite... Uh, actually, uh, Ukraine, of course, is right on the border of Russia. And some years ago, uh, the empire targeted Ukraine for a coup, for an overthrow. And it was successful and they installed what they call a puppet ruler for the purpose of bringing NATO and armaments up next to Russia's border and creating destabilization. It's, it's mind-boggling, but madmen really do run the world. They're uh, risking a third world war, a nuclear war, uh, but, of course, we know that there are really demons pulling the strings on that. But anyway, um, we'll probably hear a lot more about Ukraine. I don't know what will become of uh, the latest impeachment drive, but, you know, they've been trying to impeach Donald Trump since the day he was inaugurated. And I think probably, uh, I don't know, I doubt if they will succeed, but uh, they may <laughs> have to resort to a Plan B type thing. The British have stated their desire that he cannot be allowed to have a second term. Their global financial system is on the verge of a blowout, many times bigger than what happened in 2008. And they don't think that Donald Trump will be their man to bail them out this time as other American presidents were. So uh, that's 
That's really what's going on. Well, what about this uh, so-called disgusting thing? The reason that is of interest to us is because Jesus spoke of a disgusting thing that would uh, be on the scene during or in the lead up to the Great Tribulation. So we're talking about an event that will transpire uh, after the second coming of Christ. In Matthew, Jesus said, Therefore, when you catch sight of the disgusting thing that causes desolation, as spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in a holy place, and then in parentheses, let the reader use discernment, and then let those in Judea begin fleeing to the mountains. As we know, Jesus' prophecy had a miniature fulfillment in the first century. Jerusalem was surrounded by uh, enemies with pointed stakes, as uh, Jesus said, it was as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And it was a horrible destruction. Uh, many, many thousands of Jews were killed, and those who survived were drug off into captivity. And the Bible in Daniel foretold this in the ninth chapter, which had to do with the first coming of Jesus. But Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, were not <laughs> preterists. We don't believe that all of these prophecies were fulfilled completely in the first century. We realize that it has a far greater meaning. For example, we know that the tribulation that came upon Jerusalem has a greater meaning because Jesus said it will come in upon the entire inhabited earth, not just tiny little Jerusalem. So what happened in the first century is a pattern for something on a much larger scale, global. In the first century, that disgusting thing proved to be the Roman armies. And they came and surrounded Jerusalem and uh, they brought their ensigns, their little flags, and up to the wall of... In fact, they started to undermine the wall. And... Uh, but inexplicably this disgusting thing that went all the way to the temple left and the Jews thought that God had saved the day they even chased after the Romans but then under a new general they came back and this time they very swiftly surrounded Jerusalem with pointed stakes no one could get out it was on the Passover so the city was packed with worshipers who came from all parts of the Mediterranean area. And uh, they didn't heed Jesus' words, that when they see this disgusting thing, let those in Judea begin fleeing to the mountains. Well, again, we know that this has a much greater application because Jesus said, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would be saved. But on account of the chosen ones, those days will be cut short. So this disgusting thing is part of a global tribulation that will bring mankind to the brink of extinction. 
Well, there's really only one thing that can bring that about. It would have been impossible in the first century. It would have been impossible for the Bible students a century ago who were anticipating something to happen in 1914. It would have been impossible for them to comprehend how this tribulation could bring all of mankind uh, to the brink of extinction that it would necessitate God to intervene to cut short the tribulation or else no flesh would be saved. How could the Bible students have understood that? But after World War II, punctuating the end of World War II, was the uh, atomic bomb unleashed on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And since then, tens of thousands of these horrific Weapons of mass destruction have been built and all sorts of delivery systems have been developed. And it is a reality that the world can be literally, utterly destroyed. All life on earth can be wiped out with push-button ease. And apparently Jehovah foresaw this 2,000 years ago. Longer than that, really. You go back to uh, right after the flood and men started to build the Tower of Babel and God speaking, no doubt, to his son said, let us go down there and confuse their language. He said, look what they're doing. He says, why, there is nothing that they will not be able to accomplish. That may have seemed like uh, hyperbole back then, but Look now. And it seems that the brightest men and uh, their institutions have spent a good bit of their time devising ways to kill other people. And uh, they're very good at it, aren't they? So this disgusting thing that causes desolation. Now, it is interesting that... uh, It says in in both uh, gospel accounts that the reader is advised to use discernment and to consult the book of Daniel. Well, as I mentioned, the ninth chapter mentions on the wing of a disgusting thing and brought desolation. But in the 11th chapter concerning the kings of the north and the king of the south, it also mentions that they will set up a disgusting thing. They being plural. And that is in uh, verse 31, chapter 11, verse 31. It says, and arms will stand up proceeding from him, that is from the king of the north, and they will profane the sanctuary, the fortress, and remove the constant feature. And they will put in place the disgusting thing that causes desolation. Well, that's what Jesus was talking about. A disgusting thing standing in a holy place. Well, the questioner also asks, what is the holy place? We can't really appreciate the disgusting thing unless we understand what this holy place is. And you know, the Watchtower doesn't really appreciate this because for the longest time, It said that the holy place was Christendom. 
which is far from being a holy thing, a conglomeration of dozens of denominations and hundreds of sects that... So, but it is interesting that uh, in the Watchtower's latest publication, Pure Worship Restored at Last, it, in a little teaching box, repudiated the whole idea that ancient Jerusalem, in the time of Ezekiel anyway, prefigured or foreshadowed Christendom because the prophecy of Ezekiel is all about the judgment to come upon Jerusalem, the terrible devastation and then the rebuilding of her. So it's, it's no longer Christendom. Well, it must represent something. Uh, the book of Ezekiel uses the expression in the final part of the days in reference to Gog of Magog coming upon God's people. So it does have some meaning for us. Who is represented by ancient Jerusalem? <laughs> the watchtower just leaves their readers hanging there. They say, well, we used to think it represented Christendom. We no longer think that. Okay, fine. What's it represent? A big shrug of the shoulders, apparently. Well, you figure it out, right? Well, let's figure it out. What is a holy thing to begin with or a holy place? Well, Jehovah himself is spoken of as being holy. He is incorruptible, pure. He can't lie. He can't do anything wrong. He is righteous. He is holy. And Jesus is holy too. And anything that belongs to God or is dedicated to God is a holy thing. For example, when the Israelites came into the promised land and um, they were told to destroy this city and devote everything to destruction because God was claiming it for himself. And Achan, you know the story, he stole some gold and uh, some garments. I mean, that's what marauding armies did. They plundered their enemies. But God had specifically commanded no. How, so that those items that this man stole belonged to God. And because he stole from God, the thing had been dedicated to devotion to God, he had to be put to death. Take another example, the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, what was so special about it? It was made of wood and covered in gold. I mean, a lot of things are made of gold, right? Well, the Ark of the Covenant belonged to God. It represented his covenant. The Ten Commandments were actually stored inside the chest along with some manna from their time in the wilderness. And it was placed in the most holy compartment of the tabernacle and later the stone temple. But you remember the, um, the Israelites uh, ill-advisedly took took this Ark of the Covenant out, and uh, it was captured by the Philistines. And <laughs> it's sort of humorous. Jehovah brought 
piles upon them. In other words, like hemorrhoids. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Uh, so he, he brought them you know, to the realization that they had stolen something, plundered something that belonged to God, and he wanted it back. And he forced them to give it back without destroying it. And uh, well, then the Babylonians plundered it as well, didn't they? Along with all sorts of golden articles and vessels that were used in the worship of Jehovah. And you recall on the last night of the king of Babylon, uh, Belshazzar was toasting his gods. He, he, he called for the, the wine goblets that his grandfather had stolen from Jehovah's temple to come out. And they were drinking wine from Jehovah's golden vessels. And that's when the handwriting came on the wall and said, you've been weighed in the balances and your days are numbered and you're done. Uh, but Daniel said, do you drink wine from these things that really belong to God? So do you get the picture here? Whatever God claims as his own is sanctified to him and is considered something holy. Now, in the first century, the temple belonged to Jehovah. And the Watchtower reasons, well, not really. The Jews had become so corrupt, and that's why this temple that was destroyed in 70 prefigures Christendom. Well, there's a, there's a problem with that. Because when Jesus was on the earth, he regularly went to the temple. And after he was anointed, his first visit to Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple and uh, he drove out the money changers. And he said, stop making the house of my father a house of merchandise. So Jesus viewed that temple not as something unholy and corrupt. He viewed it as belonging to his father. It was Jehovah's temple. Well, when did it stop being Jehovah's temple? Well, Jesus brought a new temple into existence. Remember, he said, tear down this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And then it, later, in, Jesus' disciples realized he was talking about the temple of his body. He was speaking of his resurrection and his resurrection brought into existence a new form of worship. Did the temple at that point become unholy? No, not exactly. We cannot say that because the apostles, it says in the book of Acts, they were in the temple every day teaching about Jesus. So did the apostles view this stone temple in Jerusalem as something unholy? No, they did not. And even years later, and I've brought this up many times. The, the Apostle Paul came in from his years out in the uh, Gentile field. And you know he came up to Jerusalem and met with the apostles. And they advised him to go to the temple and make a sacrifice in order to quell the rumors that he was preaching an apostasy from Moses. Even though, I mean, Paul wrote the letter of Hebrews saying that 
You know, this form of worship has become obsolete. It's near to passing away. It's going to be destroyed. But still, he didn't view it as something unholy. It wasn't until it was destroyed. And that, that is when God finally declared it was no longer his, and he abandoned it to destruction. Okay, so since Christ is the focal point of a new form of worship, whatever is associated with Christ is holy. And those who are called to belong to Christ, those who are anointed, are called holy ones. You see? And these holy ones are Christ's congregation. Now, think about this. When we take a vow to God, he considers that a solemn promise. For example, you take a marriage vow. We don't take those lightly, do we? I mean, even the secular law recognizes that it is a legally binding uh, arrangement. And it's, uh, you know, you have to go through a legal procedure to get out of it. Uh, Not necessarily in Jehovah's eyes, but how about when we dedicate ourselves to God through baptism? That's what Jesus did. He was already part of a nation that was dedicated to God, but he came forward when he was baptized. And then he explained in prophecy, really, I have come to do your will. So his baptism showed that he was Jehovah's servant from that point on and uh, dedicated to God to accomplish his will even to the death. So again, everything that's dedicated to God is holy, belonging to him. So we appreciate that the watchtower has at its core, its nucleus, those who are holy ones, born again, hopefully to be part of the 144,000, if they're faithful. Also, these holy ones, um, they're dedicated to God, but they also dedicate certain things to God properties like the ark of the covenant that was just a thing but it belonged to god it was part of the worship so now think about all of the kingdom halls around the world all of them are dedicated to god in a solemn ceremony huh? which uh, is why the watchtower i fear is uh, in a bit of trouble for hawking these properties, selling them like common real estate, even though they were dedicated to God. And, you know, the bean counters and lawyers running this organization, they they don't uh, recognize something as being sacred. It's just property, and they think they own it. So they have to account for that as well, don't they? And also think about the... Uh, The big facilities like branch offices and the Watchtower's headquarters have been dedicated to God. And, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of led to believe that these 
structures, these facilities will be there operating after the smoke clears of Armageddon. So we appreciate that they're part of God's work to help Jehovah's Witnesses accomplish their ministry. So they're, okay, I think you, you get the point. So go, going back to the question, what is the disgusting thing? Now, what is interesting, in the passage I read, in the 31st verse of the 11th chapter of Daniel, it is not concerning what will happen in the time of the end, because uh, a few verses up, verse 27, it says, these two kings, king of the north, king of the south, their heart will be inclined to do what is bad, and they will sit at one table speaking lies to each other, but nothing will succeed because the end is yet for the time appointed. Okay, so then that's in the same context, that he will go back and hurl denunciations against the Holy Covenant and act effectively, and he will go back and give attention to those leaving. And then verse 31, and arms will stand up receding from him, and they will profane the sanctuary, the fortress, and remove the constant feature and they will put in place, they will put in place the disgusting thing. So the Watchtower says that this is the United Nations. And uh, prepare for a shocker. I agree with them. But not necessarily <laughs> in the same way. And the Watchtower, I don't think, has it a clear view of who this king of the north is. They've changed from, it was Germany, and then it was USSR, and then we didn't know, and now recently it's Russia again. And uh, But it is interesting. I, of course, most of you know that I, I feel that the British Empire has always been the king of the north since you know, the 1700s, and the king of the south is the United States. So it's the empire against the republic the iron and the clay. Yeah. So, but it is interesting that they, the Anglo-American duo, were behind the establishment of the United Nations. But here's the thing. I don't think that we read this prophecy in um, Daniel this, regarding the king of the north. It's not necessarily in uh, chronological order. That, you know, a, a linear order that one thing happens after the other, then the next verse, and that and that is in the timeline. And I say that for the reason that it says that this king of the north, they, both of them set up the disgusting thing, but it's the king of the north that arms proceed from him, and he desolates the sanctuary. What is the sanctuary? A holy place, right? So, you have to go back to, and remember, Jesus said, advised us to consult the prophet Daniel and to let the reader use discernment. So there in the 11th chapter regarding the kings of the north and the south, there it is made mention of this disgusting thing that will be put in place. So the United Nations has been put in place. It is like um, a placeholder. It is intended to be a world government, but it has never become such because 
the independent sovereign nations uh, will not relinquish their sovereignty. And the whole uh, operation of the empire is to destroy national sovereignties and to bring into being this one world government likely administered by the United Nations. It takes a lot to run a, a big government, especially a world government. You can't just rent it out of your, your garage, like I say. So this is in place. And we expect it to do God's work, which is to stand in this holy place and bring desolation. Now, if we go to the eighth chapter of Daniel, it refers to a king of fierce countenance who will stand up and be exalted. And uh, he, he says he stands up against even the prince of the army. And from him, the constant feature was taken away and the established place of his sanctuary was thrown down. So it mentions the sanctuary and the constant feature, just as it did in the 11th chapter concerning the, the king of the north. Also, in that 8th chapter, it mentions that this will occur in the time of the end. So that's why I say the prophecy in the 11th chapter doesn't follow in chronological order. We might assume that this disgusting thing, according to the 11th chapter, is standing in the sanctuary prior to the time of the end. But according to the 8th chapter... This prophecy is earmarked for the time of the end. Now, to take away any ambiguity, the 13th verse of the 8th chapter of Daniel, it says, How long will the vision of the constant feature and of the transgression causing desolation continue to make both the holy place and the army things to be trampled on? So there's the holy place being trampled. But it doesn't call this king of fierce countenance a disgusting thing. But it is. And that's the connection. And that's why the reader needs to use discernment. Or are we to expect two different entities to take away Christ's sanctuary and trample upon what is holy to God? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, we're looking at a future, and you know, the, the verse I read uh, prior to that last verse, it's, it referred to the sanctuary as his sanctuary, the prince of the army, the prince of princes, Jesus Christ. So, it's his sanctuary. Remember, he said, tear down this temple and I will build it up. Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the, the cornerstone of a spiritual temple. So his temple will be taken away from him. The army of his, his ministers on earth, those who belong to him, will be trampled upon for time, time and half a time, 1,260 days, so on and so on. So that's it. Christ's congregation is the holy place. And it's not being trampled on at the present it will be in the lead up to the great tribulation. It will be trampled on by 
this incoming world government, this disgusting thing that's going to rule the world and blah, blah, blah. That makes it a disgusting thing on God's side. When the UN was set up, remember in front of the UN, the watchtowers uh, made quite a bit of that as this uh, statue depicting a man beating a sword into a plowshare. Taken from the symbolism, of course, and the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah. So the UN is claiming that it is going to fulfill Bible prophecy by bringing peace to the earth. Where in reality, I believe it will fulfill Bible prophecy by making war against God's people. Destroying what belongs to God. We have a little inkling of how that can come about when we look at uh, what happened to Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia. And Watchtower boasts that Babylon the Great had no power to suppress God's people. And uh, yet that's exactly what has happened. The Russian Orthodox Church, using the power of the state, has virtually outlawed Jehovah's Witnesses and has confiscated virtually all properties, properties that have been dedicated to God and have been used to accomplish the Christian ministry, and now it's taken from them. God allowed it, of course, and he will allow it on a much larger scale. You know, the Watchtower has recently, at their annual meeting last month, said that the prophecy of Joel, the locusts do not prefigure <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses, which, of course, is what I said years and years ago. I don't know the details of it. Maybe they'll come out with an article. But again, they leave you hanging there. Well, okay, the locusts don't represent Jehovah's Witnesses. What do they represent? What's the book of Joel all about? Well, it's about the end of the preaching work. The field is devastated and the storehouses are burned and destroyed. It's over. And the third chapter of uh, Joel Jehovah restores his holy place, and he says, never again will strangers come into Jerusalem. Hmm? So here Jesus is talking about a holy thing uh, being trampled on by the nations for an appointed time. That's the actual uh, times of the Gentiles to trample what is holy, 1,260 days, and then the kingdom comes fully to power in heaven, and it cannot be trampled on. So that's the Jerusalem that these strangers, the nations, will no longer trample upon. So by allowing them to destroy and confiscate what belongs to him, he brings an end to the Christian preaching work, humbles and disciplines his own people, and then Christ appears to the chosen ones, to the holy ones. And they are infused with a new spirit and give a final witness concerning the established kingdom. And that is what uh, causes the king of the north to react in a fury, just as uh, King Herod, uh, prior to the first century, and hearing the news of um, the birth of this king of the Jews. He had all the boys and 
where he ascertained where this child was born and had all the children under two years of age slaughtered. Well, that's what this king of the north will do. Hearing about the witness from these so-called two witnesses that Christ has returned, that they have seen Jesus. And uh, the devil will eliminate them. And that will be the trigger to initiate what is called the War of Armageddon. So God brings his enemies, brings out in them their full hatred and animosity for him, and he allows them to attack and destroy what belongs to him. And uh, in that way, he's fully justified in destroying Satan's entire wicked system. Well, okay, I think that's going to do it for uh, this episode number 80 of the Watchman's Post podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, send me an email or you can drop a voice line. I've set up a contact page there. Anyway, uh, may Jehovah bless your search for the truth.